The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Our world is always so rush-rush. We can never get any personal time to ourselves, let alone those that we love. Welcome to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. Our mission, to reintroduce kindness and compassion to our busy lives. Remember when life was so much simpler? Gabriella and her guests today will pick up the ball of human kindness and by doing so, empower you to make changes in your own life. And now, here is Gabriella Von Ray. And welcome to the Might Radio Show. Uh, today's guest is really special. We have Julie Ziegler Norman, who is the daughter of Zig Ziegler. But what is really interesting, and I would really like to talk about that, is her journey. And her book is called A Daughter's Broken Journey from Heartache to Hope. Julie, welcome on the show. Well, thank you, Gabrielle. I'm so thrilled to be with you today. Me too. And I saw one of your YouTubes where you really openly said, you know, I'm not happy. And kudos to you because many women are not happy out there, but they just don't want to admit it. So tell me what got you on your journey, first of all, to want to write this book and pour your heart. Well, it was it, it was an unexpected book. I had thought that I was going to be writing a book about being your best you, and it was going to be fairly corporate because that's kind of where I had ended up with speaking to a lot of businesses about, you know, starting at, at the very most basic place, which is with yourself, in order to become a great uh, either employee, entrepreneur, or business owner. And I had called uh, Guideposts books mm-hmm. to see if they wanted a book that my father had co-written with a friend of his. It's a jokes and quotes book. And they got to asking me what I had been doing in my life. I had won their writer's contest 20, about 20 years earlier. And I told them what was going on with me. And they asked me if I would write this book called Growing Up Ziggler. And um, I just knew immediately that, that that was to be the next thing on my plate. And it's all about helping women uh, come into themselves and and grow past the place of limitations that they put on themselves because of um, mm, really negative self-talk, uh, not forgiving themselves for bad choices in their past, uh, just not being able to see beyond the immediate dilemma that they're in. And it, it was quite a blessing to have that opportunity so early. I had thought that would be later on, you know, three or four or five years down the road. Do you think that the women that have these limitations are especially due to, and I'm going to say our generation, more than the younger crowd that you see that are under 35 today? I No, I see the, these 35-year-olds with a lot of uh, questions as well. I believe that those of us who are who are a little older come with maybe 
more baggage because we were trapped between two two worlds and one was you know extremely strict and rigid and um not uh, maybe not the most caring just the factual get it done go to work type of world and do your duty and then the next world was ooh gaga la la you know yeah <laughs> yeah these and soccer children and there wasn't an in between i think the younger generation kind of has more of a an almost an immediate balance because they're not they're not struggling between such two extremes <laughs> like we were absolutely so, Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 I really agree with what you say there. But what what made your journey such a heartache, if I may ask? It was that um, I, I really didn't understand why I kept making choices that I didn't want to make. I felt obligated. Uh, I was such a people pleaser, Gabriella, that okay. anything anybody wanted, I just couldn't do enough to, to help them get that, whether there was their request was wrong, uh, improper, out of line. Um, I drew the line at illegal because I had been taught a whole lot about what's legal and, and what's not. I hadn't been taught a whole lot about morality or things of the soul or the, the human spirit and and um, God or any any of that. You know, that just wasn't a part of my upbringing. My dad was real positive, and he liked to look on the bright side of things. But uh, there was not a lot of instruction, you know, on just the basics of um, that we within ourselves are, are valuable and that we need to protect ourselves and think highly of ourselves so that we aren't um, used. When I say highly, I don't mean in an arrogant manner. I mean just mm -hmm. a respect for self that denies others the right to uh, trample on us. <laughs> which I didn't understand how to do early on. Okay. And and you said that you did not have a Christian upbringing. Is that correct? No, I did not. My father was not, um, did not become a Christian until I was nearly 17. Uh, that was July 4th, 1972. I had gone to church, many different churches, Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, just, just wherever my friends went, I went with them some, but I was not uh, exposed to to much. I think they took us to church uh, to Easter two or three times when we were little, um, and you know, occasionally we go a time or two, but it, there was never enough to learn anything about um, Christ or or God or you know the spiritual nature of of this universe and and who it is that we really are. I didn't learn any of that early. Mm-hmm. And, and what made your father actually become a Christian? Did he ever tell you that? Oh, yes. Yes. And I met the lady who told him uh, that God had been waiting on him a long, long time, and he better not make him wait too long because one day it just might be too late. And that was an elderly black woman named Sister Jessie who Dad had met and was just um, really taken with her, with her spirit and her love. She just she just oozed love and truth, and he invited her and a friend to come spend that 4th of July weekend with our family, and she walked in talking about Jesus and walked out talking about Jesus, and she, you know, she told Daddy, you know, you don't wait too long. He's been waiting a long time, and and uh, he was just praying, you know, God, if, if 
you are there. And he, of course, had been raised by a very, very faithful mother who took him to church every time the doors opened. And Daddy was one of those people who had kind of always thought he was um, a Christian by association. And he had uh, made that commitment as a child, but it wasn't a true commitment of his heart. He had just walked down the aisle. But that night, as he was praying, uh, suddenly the the brightest, longest shooting star he had ever seen, just at the point where he said, God, if you're real, just you need to show yourself to me. At that exact moment, that star just struck across the sky, and uh, he knew. He just knew right then, and from that moment on, uh, his life was changed, and he was a good man. You know, he'd been a good man always, but um, he did not have the life of Christ in him, and he didn't have the degree of love, the depth of love. Uh, Daddy became a true other people person after that experience, and it wasn't, yeah, it was just really deep. But as a salesman, he must have been a people's person before then, right? Uh, Daddy was always a little bit of an introvert as far as, like, personal one-on-one, kind of a quiet guy. But because he was good in sales and he did so much sales training and he had experienced the the difference in his life when one man encouraged him. Uh, Mr. P.C. Merrill told him uh, at one point in his cookware salesman uh, life that he had never seen such a waste of time and energy and that if Daddy would get up at the same time every day and make an appointment with himself to be out knocking on doors at a set time, and if he would come to believe in himself and his ability, he thought he could be a great one. And that was the first time that my father had ever had anybody say, Zig, you can be, you can be a great one if you'll just apply yourself and yeah. believe in yourourself and for if, everyone yeah absolutely if you apply yourself for every human being it's the same right it is it is and he made it his goal to become the pc merrill in the lives of as many other people as he could because he had experienced uh the hope that comes from encouragement that was his that was his passion was to encourage others Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that's all it takes, a little bit of kindness and encouragement, and a lot of beautiful things happen after that. Right. And my daddy did teach kindness um, long before he was any, you know, any name at all in the speaking or motivational or positive thinking world. I can remember being in a cafeteria when I was about five years old, and the waitress, they used to come and fill up your tea and carry your trays to your table back in the old days, and this one lady was really having a bad day and sloshing our tea and throwing stuff on the table, and when she walked away, Daddy had us all lean in, and he said, I think our our waitress is having a bad day. Let's do everything we can to help her make it better. Yeah. So his response wasn't to be irritated. It was just to love her. And Daddy always said that if you treat most people as if they are hurting, in about 98% of the cases, you'll be right. Yeah, I agree totally. I wish Mm -hmm. I could have met him because I truly agree. And I also agree with something that I read in one of your press releases, which is that you talk about uh, choices about belonging and not fitting in. And I think that's really, really um, a very important topic because I also believe that 98% 
of people don't feel that they belong or fit in anywhere. Could you tell us a little bit more about where you felt that you didn't belong or fit oh, in? Yeah. Had it had it do had it to do with your move or had it to do with you internally not feeling that you belonged? Well, I totally felt that I belonged everywhere I was right up until we moved to Dallas, Texas, when I just turned 13. I'd okay. been on student council, I'd tried out cheerleader, I'd been in the finals, I'd campaigned, I'd, you know, I had friends and, and I just, um, felt I felt a part of, and then we moved to Dallas from Columbia, South Carolina, when my father had a, an opportunity to do a lot more sales training and mm -hmm. speaking, and I didn't fit in. I was from a slower place and wore strange clothes, and I had a really thick South Carolina accent, and I know you're laughing right now because I've got a really <laughs> thick Texas accent. <laughs> I know. I didn't notice that. Uh, but it was, it was then, way... I'm sure. It was way stronger than this Texas thing. But um, I had a little cheerleader who got jealous of me when her ex-boyfriend got a crush on me, and she started a terrible rumor about me, Gabriella, and it was so bad that none of the good kids would associate with me. And uh, that at that point, I felt that I did not fit in. And I wanted so desperately to belong. I had never been estranged from whole groups of people before. And I ultimately found, fell in with the wrong group. And my parents didn't have a clue that I was struggling to that degree and that my, my personal life was falling apart every time I walked out their door. But um, that was the first time I felt I didn't belong. And then I made so many bad choices uh, trying to belong that then I felt unworthy to be anyone's friend. Could you give and me one anyone. example? Could you give me one concrete example of a bad choice? Oh, yeah. And and I do, you know, I, I can't remember if this is in the book or not, but I'm, I am called to be transparent, and I know that some people say um, I give too much information, but the truth is that's, That's what I went through, and I know a lot of a lot of girls uh, go through it. And that was that in order to be a part of this group, part of their initiation was that I had to give up my virginity. Well, at that age, I didn't even know what virginity was. But if okay. having friends, if that was a part of whatever it took, then I was willing to do that. I didn't have a clue, you know, what the complications or consequences or implications of that were because I didn't understand what what it was but that was the first really awful choice and i ultimately earned the really bad reputation i've been given and that was just the beginning <laughs> yeah no i understand and then it goes into a sort of spiral doesn't it mm. yeah. yes one bad choice leads to another and it got deeper and deeper and I ultimately married a man twice my age uh, as much to kind of bring everything to a halt where I could just be in a situation with one man, you know, and and it just kind of get a, a level of control in my life. And also at that point, um, I was aware of God, and I felt like if I could have that marriage relationship, then I wouldn't be sinning sexually anymore. And that, that was a, you know, a big part. Like I could make up for bad choices if I made that decision to marry. And um, unfortunately, uh, you know, I just, I married a man who who was not able to um, 
you know, to take care of me like he should and abuse me in the end physically, and I had to leave. So, um, that sounds terrible. Yeah, but, you know, I was just out there <laughs> trying to make my own way, not asking parents for any help. And, and Gabriella, that's one of the big, big things I talk about is um, we are way too independent, and interdependence is really what gets us from point A to point B when bad things are going on in our lives because mm-hmm. left to our own thinking during really tough times, we, we don't use good logic when we're emotionally battered and beaten uh, and we can't see the way out. It really does take letting others in uh, who can see more clearly when we're in those circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. An outsider can see more. But also our parents or, or other members of our family have knowledge that we don't have. And if we don't share with them, then we don't get to hear that knowledge at all. But I can imagine that it's hard for a teenager to share that kind of knowledge. Well, I actually tried to share some of that knowledge, and my mother was so horrified, and she's apologized to me. Matter of fact, still does about once a year, and says she just really is sorry that she was unwilling or unable to hear the things I was trying to tell her about how out of control I'd become. Uh, It just hurt her so much to even think, you know, of me struggling with any of those things. And we laughed today, but at the time it was, you know, it was was tough when I would try and tell her something that I I had gotten into. And she would just say, no, you didn't, (laughs) or no, you don't. And I didn't know how to answer that, you know. Uh, And I think parents from that era, too, can only do what they learned. And so they don't have all the information either. And for most parents, what our children do, and I know it because I'm a parent and you're a parent today, we often make the same mistakes our parents do because we can only teach what we know. We we can't start teaching what we don't know, and especially what we don't understand. Yes. And And so we have limitations. Yes. And the amazing thing about my dad and the kind of father he was is mm-hmm. that his daddy died when he was just five. But yeah. other men stepped in and mentored him, and he learned from them how to parent. Uh, they parented him, you know, at work or wherever it was that he had contact with, with them. But um, he didn't have a dad. He couldn't. His dad had no memories of his father, uh, none at all. And... He was he was a beautiful father. He during our early life he traveled a great deal, but it was always my dad. He was the one who initiated the phone calls and stayed in touch and made sure we got together. You know, a lot of families it's the mother that does that, but in our family it was my father. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Keep that thought. We'll be right back after this commercial. Okay. All right. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Wealth Solutions for the 99% is a weekly talk show focused on helping you develop and execute a game plan to build wealth. Your host, Paula Joy, who built a $50 million-plus company in less than five years, believes it's impossible to be poor in America, and he'll show you why with his innovative strategies. Joining Paul as co-host is radio personality Kim Reed, an experienced entrepreneur and corporate leader who's known as the Corporatepreneur. The show is upbeat, fun, and informative. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. We are back with our guest, Julie Ziegler Norman. We are back with a candid interview, and she wrote a book, A Daughter's Broken Journey from Heartache to Hope. Julie, for the listeners that missed the first part, we are talking basically about your journey. And one of the things I find very interesting that um, I read in one of the files that you sent me is about forgiving yourself and the shame and the guilt that you feel when you go, if I may say so, when we make wrong mistakes, we, we kind of feel we get off our own wrong, our own path. But my question to you is the shame and the guilt, are they part of what we push onto ourselves or is it our environment that made you feel shame, ashamed and guilty? No, I, for, for me, I believe it was, um, it was just an in, internal, it was an internal thing. Okay. Um, I, more so than, more so than the environment. And okay. it had, it just had to do with the relationship I felt with with God, and that I had uh, between me and Him that that I had um, I had met Him, I had repented, I had felt the freedom and the forgiveness, and then without any you know any discipleship, without being churched. Um, I went back out and and made the same mistakes, and I didn't understand grace at that time, Gabriella, and I just thought mm-hmm. it was over, and I felt so separated from God. Um, you know, later I discovered he had never left me, uh, and that even, even the bad choices I were making were not separating me from him, but because I didn't understand the totality of his love and forgiveness, um, I continued to wander around in a in a land feeling separate from and still making bad choices um, because I just didn't feel that relationship would ever happen again. I thought it was over. And when I learned otherwise, it it completely revolutionized my life. And it's that that I know that there are people sitting and sanctuaries across this nation, women especially, who 
feel unworthy to be there, who feel that if the other women there who they somehow think are better than them knew what they'd done in their past, that they would not be accepted. But it's absolutely not the truth because they are forgiven. But they have to learn to accept that forgiveness uh, for themselves. And until they forgive themselves, you know, they're not going to have the freedom. I agree totally, but for many, many women, this is the hardest thing to do, is to forgive yourself. So I agree with you that, I mean, I agree totally that God has forgiven you, forgiven you the moment you make the mistake. But how does a person connect so that it actually feels that it has been forgiven and so that you, you can move on? Well, for me. Yeah. Now, for me, it was a matter of uh, learning enough about God to understand who he is and his personality and what his promises are are to us. And once I, once I got to the bottom of um, the totality of his love, and I could see that it really was and that he doesn't remember the wrongs uh, that I've done and all that he was willing to do for me, it really took knowing him. And until I knew and understood his character, you know, it was just impossible for me to see how I could be forgiven, how anybody could possibly forgive me for the things that I'd done, much less me forgive me, you know. But um, it took knowing him, knowing his heart, his personality, his character, and what his promises are, because he does not lie. But you have to, in order to know him, you may have to read and study. You know, I went to a lot of churches for a long time, Gabriella, and I never, there were certain things I never heard because it just wasn't taught or preached while I was in the room. Mm-hmm. That they were, and they were the things that set me free that I learned when I started reading the Word for myself. And, and that's when the true communication started. Do you also feel that we have moments in time where we could hear the same words, but there's absolutely no reaction because we're not ready to hear it? Oh, without a doubt. I also okay. believe there are times when we're listening to somebody speak or teach or preach, and uh, we hear words that, in fact, uh, upon re-listening, say to an audio, they didn't even say. And I yep. just think that's I just think that's God intervening uh, and having us hear the things He would have us hear personally, because He's a very personal, personal one-on-one God. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yes, I know I can read I can read the same passage, you know, every year and see something new in it. But and I do believe it has to do with how how our heart is prepared and how mature we are and how willing we are to grow. It's a lot of stuff painful to deal with. Absolutely. I always give the silly example that when you read a book or you say, I really have to read this book. Uh, I know it's a good book, but you can't get through a chapter and you will always fall asleep at that chapter until suddenly you're ready to listen to it or, and boom, the chapter just, and suddenly you just get it. Yes, I've had that experience. <laughs> I always give that example. Yeah. <laughs> you, you talk about deep pain, too, because we escape our pain. And I think, again, 98% of the, the universe tries to escape it badly, our pain. What yes. advice would you give for the listeners to really deal with that? Would it to be turned uh, to turn to God? Would it be to turn internally into yourself? What do you feel is really needed for that? 
Well, I think when we're in a lot of pain, uh, the worst person we can turn to is ourselves because usually we're already hyper-focused on on self to the point of, you know, uh, many of us to the point of thinking about just ending it all because, I mean, what's the point? And and that's where uh, your daddy would call it stinking thinking uh, can go if you just stay within yourself. Uh, to try and find solutions to those pain, to that kind of pain. Uh, and for me, it, it is in the promises of the scripture. That's, that's where I found it. And that's where I realized that, uh, regardless of what I was going through, that God could use it, uh, for good, you know, for those who are called according to His purpose. And, and I have found in my life that it is very true that there is not one awful, hideous thing that's ever happened to me that He cannot, uh, use and allow me to comfort others with the same comfort He's comforted me, whether it was, uh, the alcoholism that I eventually fell into because I did not know how to deal with negative feelings and negative emotions. I chose alcohol as, you know, as a way to medicate uh, the feelings of low self-worth and the uh, terrible self-talk that I did, you know, within my own mind, telling myself that I was worthless and I was stupid and that nobody liked me, nobody going to love me. These were the things that went on in my head, but I actually learned how to take those kinds of thoughts captive and escort them out of my mind uh, because they are not. Um, those are, I call those thoughts of the enemy. They are meant to seek, destroy, and kill. And if he can convince us that we are, are worthless and powerless, then, um, then we're puppets at the mercy of of life and others and uh, and basically useless to do good in this world. But when you learn otherwise and where your true power comes from, um, it it's just amazing what God can do if you're available to him. Absolutely. I always say to children, because that's what I do, I talk to children a lot, that we all have that piece of might inside of us. We've got to dig deep, and nobody can tell another person that they're not worthy. But unfortunately, this goes on more and more and more today than ever when I was a child. So I know that's really, really difficult, but it is going on out there. Um, yes, it, yeah, go ahead. I was just agreeing that it is, and, and the social media is is just a... Parents are no longer able to totally uh, protect their children from others who who do have a destroying nature because they can get to them these other ways that parents can't hear and see, not immediately anyway. At, at the one hand, technology is, is beautiful. I didn't grow up with it because I'm too old, but the technology is, is beautiful. I mean, I, I mean, I love that I can see a satellite and I can watch an eagle having a baby through internet, you know, and I'm miles and miles and miles away or on a total different continent. I mean, the world has become small, but like you said, you know, for the children that use these tools, I think we, we have just, None of us have an inkling anymore what's going on on that level. And that's the biggest problem. But I'm really interested how and why you wanted to become or wanted. Maybe you fell into it. I'm not sure. That's why I'm curious. Um, 
How did you become a motivational speaker? Was it your dad or was it truly you that said, I, I think I have something to say? Oh, Gabriella. Um, <laughs> it, it, I definitely never, and I'm going to talk about my brother, Tom, who is okay. the CEO of, of my father's company or our company. Um, Tom as well. Neither one of us ever saw ourselves as public speakers. That was dad. I mean, that's what Daddy did. I was his editor for 20 years. I helped him with all his books. Um, my brother had started working at the warehouse as a teenager and has worked his way through every position over there until finally he is the CEO. But speaking just didn't occur to us. But through the years, my father had had a brain injury. He fell down the stairs in 2007, and he went from being able to speak three hours without looking at a note to having short-term memory loss that was, you know, two or three minutes long. And okay. he could still do all of his stories and make his points, but he might forget and go back and repeat himself. So he asked me to interview him on those big public stages. The first time I ever got up in public, Gabriella, there were 18,000 people in the audience. So oh, it was initiation by fire. And <laughs> over the next four years, I think we spoke to over 2 million people with the great big Get Motivated uh, platform, you know, where we had uh, we had Colin Powell and Rudy Giuliani and um, Laura Bush and just a whole bunch of different people on that platform as we went all over the country. But that was I, – I, people started inviting me to speak – after they would see Dad and I together. They knew that Dad couldn't just come and stand up and do a keynote anymore. It was always going to have to be an interview. But it was, um, I call myself an accidental speaker. Uh, I was willing, I was at a place in my life where I had learned that um, I just wanted to be available and willing and obedient to do whatever God put in front of me to do. And when I was asked if I would help Daddy you know, on the platform, I knew the answer was yes, because that was what was in front of me to do. And it has just gone that way this whole time. And like I said, I started out to write a business-type book, and uh, and that's what I was working on when Guidepost asked me to write this more spiritually-based book about growing up Ziegler. So, um, yes, it was. Uh, I do feel that I have a lot a lot to share, and I speak for a lot of women who made choices, and, and one of the uh, the worst actual choices that I've made had to do with abortion, and um, that is what really kept me from being who it was God wanted me to be for many, many, many years, and I had no idea even the true degree of pain and grief that I was experiencing because uh, with abortion, there is no acknowledgement of loss because if you're, if you've got your mindset that it's not a baby to entertain any other thought, um, you know, about that I should grieve, how can you grieve if what you've lost is not a baby? And I had bought into that through the pregnancy planning clinics, uh, which just taught as another form of birth control, and for many, many years I denied that. But, you know, I found out after I got um, post-abortion counseling, Gabriella, that my 
alcoholic drinking began immediately after that first abortion. So um, my body and my heart knew what my mind would not acknowledge. And for many, many years, I felt very distant from my children and um, all babies. I didn't around them. But when I finally um, was able to accept forgiveness and ask forgiveness for that and, and love those babies, my whole life changed. Whole life changed. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I still feel that for many women, it's a stigma, abortion, and they've been told not to talk about it. And, yeah, and, yeah. And and that's terrible because anytime you put a stigma on anything, it, uh-huh. it's still there. I always call it. It's like a boomerang. It comes into your face until you have to deal with it. Yeah, and it, and it does, and it will. And I, I, you know, you you've given me a few little examples. One of the examples I give when I'm speaking and get on the topic of abortion is even the women who stand up and fight for that right, uh, the right to have an abortion, if they schedule to go have one, you don't sit around at lunch and ever hear a woman say, oh my goodness, look what time it is, I better run, I've got an abortion at 1.30, I'd hate to miss it. I mean, those conversations don't happen, everybody still keeps it a secret. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't understand this because I thought, you know, I, I still don't understand that we talk about so many things that we're embarrassed about because if there's anything I learned in life, and I'm sure you're telling me the same thing indirectly, is if we don't talk about it and share it, then we always think we're the only one. And by sharing it, we just realize that there's a whole world out there, like you said before, that's all going through these same emotions. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah, but abortion, you're you're totally right. Nobody talks about it. Nobody. They're totally unwilling. Yeah. I just think that we have, I feel that I'm glad to live in an era where the woman at least has a choice. And then what she does is up to her. But it shouldn't be a stigma if it's a legal choice that we're allowed to make, right? Uh, well, that's where... Gabriella, real, you know, I believe the reason it's not talked about is because women know in the depths of their soul that it's, you know, killing, killing your unborn child is just, it's just, uh, I think our, everything in our spirit and our heart and our body screams out against it. And no matter how we want to claim the legality of it or try and say it keeps you know, backroom abortions from happening. The truth is women are emotionally and spiritually devastated um, by that decision. And they're so shocked because nobody nobody says, you know, that you can end up with extreme depression, that suicide rates are higher, that alcoholism is um, a very common occurrence after abortion. I mean, they... We're told this is the solution and not told what the repercussions can be. So, um, you know, I, for me, I personally know that if we still lived in a world where it was not a legal choice, my babies would be alive today because I, was, I would not have been willing to do something illegal. You know, I think I started with I was taught to be legal and honest in that regard. That was taught to me. But... Um, you know, so in, in that respect, we're, you know, we're kind of worlds apart. I've just seen so many women who, once they start to deal with the babies they've lost, um, 
they they just will tell you. Eighty five percent of women uh, really didn't want the abortion they got. They were influenced by others to a great degree, and they're starting to call it the unchoice because so many other people's ideas about it play into the into it. That is true. I I changed my mind a little bit when I met a woman who was raped brutally and ended up having an abortion because she didn't want a a child to come into this world, A, not knowing who that father was and, you know, and she Uh felt that unloved. But but she said she never forgot it, not once. It, It always nagged at her in the back of her head. So I can imagine, I can only slightly imagine what it's like to to live with that because you'll never forget it. Of course not. It's it's right, no. It was a life. No, it's a huge it's a huge hole, and um, but you know there is healing. There is healing. But you yeah. said something really interesting, and I I hope you don't mind that I go back to it for a second because again this is such an important subject. You said that when you have these consequences of bad decisions that you can fall into alcoholism, that you can fall into depression. And um, if you want to say a little bit more about depression, because I have a feeling that a lot of people struggle with that. And again, there too, I don't feel that they feel that they can talk about it to anyone. Yes, because, you know, to a large degree, we're taught not to complain. Uh, We're just not to complain in this world and society and if you do people aren't going to want to hang out with you so we don't want to put anybody else out and that's where this being independent is a problem again but depression is it's a a secret i believe it's a secret uh, disease until it gets so bad that people notice that you are not functioning well you know that maybe um it takes you an hour to get out of bed after you wake up or that you never quite get around to getting dressed or uh, that you put off so many things that then cause you so many more problems and so much stress and people look at you and they wonder why why does she do that to herself and the truth is you're just immobilized by your own um, negative self-talk that goes on in your head and and um, those are you know the way we talk to ourselves daddy always said the most important you're going to person you're going to speak to every day is you and the way you do that changes everything and i think one of the simplest most important things daddy ever taught that to help people who deal with depression is that uh, all they have to do is get up and do the first thing and once you're in motion it's so much easier to stay in motion and just being able to get up and get moving does an amazing uh, thing for your your depression, and especially if you get up to go help somebody else. You may not feel like helping yourself, but if you Absolutely. just make a commitment, say, to check on the elderly lady next door once a day, you know, just but you've got to stay connected with people or it it will get worse instead of better. Absolutely. Well, let's have a commercial break, and everyone will be right back with Julie Ziegler-Norman. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
The challenges facing our teens today mean that more than ever, we need to be there to support them and encourage them. The Dr. Stem Show is here to provide discussions about topics that will help promote healthy relationships, self-image, and success for teens, parents, and the community. Our young people can achieve more in life than they ever dreamed possible. The Dr. Stem Show, hosted by Dr. Stem Malatini, will foster these discussions and encourage your participation. Listen every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, and 9 p.m. GMT on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in every week for the Wellness Lounge, a step further with host Desiree Watson. Our program empowers you to incorporate a wellness lifestyle into your life, supported by a diverse selection of guests, including physicians, athletes, and education and government professionals, while helping you realize the connection between mind, body, and spirit, you'll achieve a personal edge in injury avoidance, stress management, and personal development. The Wellness Lounge, a step further, airs Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. We're back, everyone, with our special guest, Julie Ziegler-Norman, talking about her book and her journey in life. The book is called A Daughter's Broken Journey from Heartache to Hope. Uh, I've heard you say so many things that my head is spinning. I want to really talk to you about so many subjects. But one of the things that when I hear you talk is I think that the listener would really want to know um, how you how and in which time frame and i'm sure that's a difficult question that you've accomplished to go from these bad choices and bad consequences to being a self-made woman where you're secure where you can show your vulnerability to the world and share your knowledge with everyone how, how did you do that it, it it wasn't an overnight thing i was kind of a slow study uh, but my true, true growth towards uh, healing and a healthy and a happy life began when I was able to uh, quit drinking alcohol at the age of 30 with the help of a 12-step program. And uh, the first year that I was sober, I had this strong compulsion to go drink. I mean, I just, anything that felt like stress or anxiety to me made me want to have a drink. But I had a great 12-step group that I was able to run to. Uh, we lived in a pretty big town, and they had meetings, you know, six times a day. So regardless of what time it was, I had a safe place to go. And it was in that group that I uh, began to learn about God. And then I began to learn about His power when I was powerless that He was not. 
and being able to um, accept that from him allowed me to stay sober. It's been 27 years now uh, since I've had a drink. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. That is very good. That's an accomplishment in itself. Sorry for interrupting you. Oh, that's okay. Passionate when people succeed in something. (laughs) (laughs) It has been a true blessing because, um, believe you me, the ability to make bad choices is much better when you're drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That should be one of your quotes. And, you know, I knew. People think that they make right decisions. And yeah. it's, it's, it's nuts. Of course you can't. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, for instance, I knew I would never be able to quit smoking as long as I drank because as soon as I had a drink, my defenses against smoking would go down and I would smoke. So um, I think I finally was able to put the cigarettes down about seven years after I got sober. I really had to edge up to that one because I used them like a security blanket, too, and yeah. um, just it, things fell away as I grew spiritually and matured and uh, began to take responsibility for my actions and my choices uh, as I learned that it's so much better not to blame but to uh, accept your part in things and to make things right between the people in your in your life um, and and that was the process and the, the final, like I say, the final thing was when I um, went through a post-abortion Bible study and was able to forgive myself for those abortions and to see the true love that God had for me. Uh, that's when I became, I came to a place of usability, and that happened in uh, 2006, uh, just months before my dad had to fall down the stairs and had the brain injury. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe I ever would have been able to take the stage, or I certainly would not have done it for myself, if those things had not been worked out in my life already. Yeah, it's amazing how things just fall into place at the right time, isn't it, in a way? Mm, because... I, believe, I believe it's pretty well orchestrated. We're just so unaware. I think God's so kind and gentle because, um, you know, to take me from a place of, of feeling unworthy to even breathe, you know, that's about how bad it was for me, um, to a place where, you know, I know I know that I have um, a lot of knowledge through experience that can help other women to become who it is God intends them to be and for them to be happy in that freedom as well. It's just, it's, it's just such a blessing, and he was kind to do it. Uh, gently, uh, you know, I, <laughs> he didn't throw me completely to the wolves. And I laugh. I say it's kind of like Moses in the Old Testament when God said, you're going to leave these people. And he said, well, I can't even speak. And he said, well, here, I'll let your brother speak for you. I mean, he'll find a way. He works with us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I must say, I congratulate you for being married for 29 years. Is that correct? Actually, it will be 30 years, the 25th of this month. And, uh, Gabrielle, even that's interesting. I had a year separation where my husband and I, uh, worked on our relationship from two different houses. Um, and we have a marriage that, uh, people are envious of today. And it's because we finally learned how to communicate. And it took a year. 
That's but, nothing in compared to 30 years of marriage. No, it's not. <laughs> it's Most not. people don't find it in a lifetime. So, again, um, congratulations. But you have 12 grandchildren? I have 12 grandchildren, and now I have one great-grandson. So, Oops. yes, there were there are four children. My husband, when we married, he had three, and I had one, and they all lived with us. So they're all mine. And I claim them. And um, when people say, "What is the? What are you most proud of in your life?" It's my blended family. Yeah, I can. Yeah. I can totally understand that. It's yeah. family. Yeah. Is it? Yes, it is. It's something to be very, very proud of. Is there something you would like to leave the listener with that is absolutely something they haven't heard? Something that you have been willing to share? And you haven't had a chance to, for whatever reason. Oh, Gabrielle, you've taken this just about everywhere. And I feel like we've covered an awful lot of important stuff. But I I think that, um, that probably the most important thing I can share is that hope is what it takes to move from a place of desperation to a place of um, willingness and availability to do do what it is that God would have you to do. And we, I had, I was taught that you don't have to worry what your purpose in life is. Uh, our God is quite big enough to put it right smack dab in front of you. You just have to be available, willing, and obedient to do that thing that's in front of you. And if you're extremely depressed, that thing in front of you might just be uh, to get up and brush your teeth. But if you'll start there and then just add to it, the hope will continue to grow and come as you move more and more towards uh, living again. It's a little things. Uh, people get overwhelmed with thinking about tomorrow, but all we need to think about is the next minute. Absolutely. But most people think about tomorrow and a year from now, and they, they go yes. so far into the future that there's no time at all. Uh-huh. Listen, I think it's amazing you were in this show. I need a very quick question because I I admire when I read that you love reptiles in the movies <laughs> because I'm scared of reptiles. I mean, scared. You know what I mean. I think yeah. they're just behind glass. But oh, oh no. God, when I'm at someone's house and they take out a snake, then I'm, like, petrified. Tell uh, me where your love came from for reptiles well, and amphibians. I grew up across the street from a swamp, a literal swamp, in Columbia, okay. South Carolina. And uh, the people who lived next door had moved to the United States from Germany, and they had the equivalent of homeschool in the summer where the father, who was a professor at the University of South Carolina, took his children through the swamp, teaching them about the plants and the animals that live there. And he would let me tag along. And that's where I fell in love with reptiles and amphibians. And I have uh, kept kept turtles, box turtles were my favorite. But I've had a little bit of everything over the years. And I'm very proud to say that I was the first non-academic president, woman president of the largest and oldest herpological society in America, and that's the Texas Herpological Society. Yep. Wow. <laughs> okay. I'm glad our listeners know that now. <laughs> but I it's, love it. It's quite an accomplishment, too. 
Julie, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes here to tell the listener where they can get your book because I'm sure they would want one. And I also saw that on your website, you're kind enough to offer a pre-signed um, copy, right? Yes. To actually personalize it for the person when they buy it. I sure will. And they can go to uh, juliezieglernorman.com, and that's the Ziegler is spelled with an A, Z-I-G-L-A-R, uh, juliezieglernorman.com. And if they're more interested in the ministry side, um, I have another website, which is com, And you can see um, the books and the products I have available uh, from either site there. Fantastic. Is your book also available on Amazon? It's Amazon. It's all um, all major book sellers, and it's called Growing Up Ziggler, A Daughter's Broken Journey from Heartache to Hope. I'm glad you corrected me on that because I kept saying this. Yeah, the subtitle. Sorry about that. That's, that's okay. It would show up if they Googled it. <laughs> yeah, it's correct on, on my Facebook and all the social media. <laughs> But I, I I must say, I like that subtitle a lot, so it's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It's just true. <laughs> Julie Ziegler, I think your journey is amazing. I think you can help a lot of women, and I commend you for showing your vulnerability um, for other people to listen, to take in whatever they can listen to at the moment. It's not important. What's important is that you're out there doing it. I, I really think that's amazing. And I think the women of today are lucky um, to have someone like you publicly speak and that they can learn something from you. It's an inspiration to hear your story. Uh, thank you, Gabrielle. And I appreciate you allowing me to share it here very yes. much. I will be in touch with you. And for everyone, for the listeners, if you don't have time to listen to this segment, you can listen to it at your own time and you can download it at any time from voiceamerica.com immediately. Thank you so much for listening to Julie Ziegler Norman. And we are at a close for our first, um, for our um, interview. Thank you very much, everyone, and see you next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray can be heard every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week, and until our next show, think of a random act of kindness that you can perform. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.